Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. It's a happy Tuesday to each and every one of you out there. And let's just take a moment and better ourselves. Let's reflect and let's become aware with the words of wisdom from the great philosopher George Carlin. Just because you got the monkey off your back doesn't mean the circus has left town. Now, I know that means something to many of you out there. And just remember, while the circus is in town, try to enjoy it while you can. But eventually, the circus does leave town. All right, folks, now let's get this party started on a Tuesday. It's time to play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. Plugged in, plugged in, plugged in. Testies. One, two, three. Ha ha ha, I gotta turn the mic on. That may help. Welcome to the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. My name is Jason Spies, and my mic is turned on this morning on a Monday. What does that say when you start your Monday off? Without and, your mic. And you're muted. <laughs> your voice cannot be heard out of the week, man. Oh, man. We're gonna, let's we, turn we this hear week around out of the gate. Holy smokes. You know what the funny part is about this particular week is that uh, this is our, we're caught up. Yeah, we're finally actually on time. Time machine yeah. has been put in motion. Now, folks, for those people who are... Uh, not familiar with the time machine with three E's. Three E's in time machine. In the word machine, there's three E's. Four, if you include time machine. Right. Which we never said no. before, so no. that might be confusing to and some And ours people. isn't a DeLorean. It's my tripped out Hyundai. So for those people who are curious about the time machine, well, I guess you'll never know. Yeah. But for those people who listened the last couple weeks... They'll know exactly that a Thursday show was recorded on a Monday, but did not air till Friday. It's kind of a Bill and Ted's thing going on for last week, you know? Yeah, it was. Yeah, I was the role of Bill and Ted, and you were sort of the George Carlin. Napoleon. Navigating us through. Napoleon was fun. Socrates. Yeah, Socrates was a blast. (laughs) Ziggy Piggy. Ziggy Piggy. Ziggy Piggy. Have you seen the new one? I haven't seen the new one. I have not. Sean Penn's brother. Uh, Alex, uh, what's his name? Sean Penn's brother. Chris Penn. Is that his name? Chris Penn? Uh, Yeah. yeah. He plays Alex E. What's his name? (laughs) Theodore... Okay, who are the two people in there? Okay, Keanu Reeves. What's his name? Ted Theodore Logan. Ted Theodore Logan. Who's the other guy? Oh, man, now I'm going to have to look it up. It's Bill a, S. Preston. Bill, yeah, like S or Esquire. Bill S. Preston Esquire. Yep. Ted Theodore Logan. Anyway, not Keanu Reeves, but the other guy. Yeah. <laughs> he he looks a little little agey to me. He aged well, a little uh, bit. That's what I, Alex Winter. Alex Winter, name. thank yeah. you. English-American actor and filmmaker. Is he Sean Penn's brother? No, he is not. That's just a rumor? I guess. Click on his Wikipedia Well, his last page. name is Winter. Well, it doesn't so. matter. Emilio Estevez <laughs> and uh, Charlie Sheen are now brothers. Now, that totally confused me. Right? They're years. brothers, right? They are. Yeah. yeah so I'd like to know the story behind that. I thought that. Sean Penn and Alex Winter were brothers. Just um, like the guy from Wayne's World, Noah's Arcade, you know? No. Did no. You... He was born in London. Okay. No. 
Well, there's an urban legend that was yeah. debunked right there. Chris Penn. Now, he was in Reservoir Dogs, and he's been in True Romance, and he was in a bunch of other things. He's Sean Penn's brother. So there I mixed it. I just mixed You just that got up. your... Yeah, you just... The guy sure. that wasn't Steve Ducey. Right. I just mixed that up completely. <laughs> so I just got old. Well, you know, yeah. I mean, I saw Alex Winter for the first time since the last Bill and Ted's. And yeah, he's older because so am I. 20 some years. So that must have been a moment like 20 years ago where somebody just mentioned that. And, I and just, it stuck. I just, oh, okay. That's just Alex. Yeah. Uh, Sean Penn's brother. Dude, that's the problem nowadays with memes and stuff like that. Like my kid, my teenage kid will come to me with history lessons that have been conveyed to her through Simpsons memes, you know, and it's totally wrong. This was an individual personal Mandela effect that that I did to myself. It was a Mandela. That's what we just experienced was a debunking and an unraveling of a personalized Mandela effect. Sorry to tear down your dreams, man, but <laughs> sorry to kill your past. Art, Charlie Sheen, and Emilio Estevez brothers. They are brothers. They're like half-brothers, right? There's something. I don't know. Well, like, look it up. Okay, as, long as, as long as we're tearing apart my childhood, <laughs> did Nicole Eggert not sleep with both Corys in the same movie, too? Oh, I think that definitely happened. Okay, that was, I don't know that, if it was in the movie. That was more than a dream, okay. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it happened in real life. Nicole so. Eggert was my childhood crush as opposed to uh who's the other one that's going um all political now uh who's the boss her oh uh Alyssa milano Alyssa milano that was right. everybody's childhood crush i was a charles in charge nicole eggert kind of a guy oh yeah she that's had right. the big hair and the shoulder pads if i remember right in my mind she was more obtainable more <laughs> that's basically what it boils down to now you see now that says something when even in your fantasy life you're like nah, that's i just can't even buy that i, I heard can't casey suspend. musgraves is single again really i might spend the summer down in texas just on the off chance i'll just hang out at the places that she frequents and just keep tripping my biggest crush as a kid was mary lou retton the 1984 olympics wonderkin do you remember her are you are you joking no Okay, I, I was going to laugh. Like, I, I you know, kind of like, you know, instead of getting a Pete Rose haircut, right. you get a Mary Lou Retton. You know, I thought you were making a joke. No, man, she was adorable. She was awesome. Okay. Yeah, I was in fourth grade, and she was like this little dynamo. I mean, yeah. Tanya Harding was kind of dirty. I get that. Uh, Mary Lou Retton, though? Was I, she attractive? I thought so. Okay. She was cute. Okay, and she no, was I'm not spunky. here to judge. I'm yeah. not here to judge. I had judge. a poster, you know. What are we talking about? I don't remember. What are we, Charlie don't... Sheen, Emilio Estevez. I don't know. You have me on Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't even talk about wild things. The best Charlie Sheen female movie there is. I've watched 90 seconds of that movie, and it was incredible. It's a really good movie, though. Yeah. No, it's a really good movie. Like, the, the plot is really good. Yeah. There's, there's a... Outside of the steamy threesome, mm-hmm. outside of just the the... Denise Richards, the hottest woman alive factor. Um, it's a good movie. Yeah. Kevin Bacon's in that too. That's Kevin Bacon has been in everything. Speaking of Kevin Bacon, we got to get on some oil and gas talk here because <laughs> this is the crude life. Folks, welcome to the crude life. My name is Jason. Sp- that was a long <laughs> intro. <was> a long- <laughs> My name is Jason Spees. That is Sterling. Generally, we try to have a little bit of banter before we actually start the official play hard or part of the portion. In this case, this one went on for seven minutes. 
seven minutes, we basically just screwed around on hey, a Monday it's morning. Monday. I've had all this pent up all weekend. It's nice to be able to get it all out. <laughs> pent man. up. Pent Boy, up. You Kate's know? Man Cave is not our sponsor this week. <laughs> Let's keep it in your... She's our spiritual sponsor. <laughs> She's a spiritual animal. <laughs> Kate's man. You know what? She's our spiritual sponsor. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's beautiful. That's, oh, man. That's better than Kurt's frack sand. <laughs> I don't know, man. That, that sounds like a breakfast cereal. A company I just made up. So. Kurt's frack sand. Kurt's frack sand. Yeah. What's, and who's my favorite LinkedIn? Mark Wang. Mark Wang. That's it. Mark Wang. That's my favorite LinkedIn you, friend you, yet. You can't go wrong with the Wang. I'm just not mature enough for LinkedIn still. No, uh-uh. Still. Okay, so let's get to uh, uh, Saudi Ramco, by the way, folks. We've got a lot going on here. Uh, we, had, we had a couple busy weeks, so I do apologize because Sterling and I are finally caught up to where we spent two weeks uh, catching up from... He was gone for five days, out-of-town jobs. Working for a living. Basically, they came in one after another, so it was, it was kind of like... Um, you know, when, when you're juggling two balls and then somebody throws a third in and then a fourth and a fifth. And you can juggle all five balls, but you'd rather not. But you do. And then I had four balls in my week. So it took us two weeks to get caught up with the Daily Show, and now we are. So we've got the Bakken barbecue coming up. we got the OCI Permian chapter. There's a speaking uh, gig and a shale energy trade show, tra- uh, shale energy resources trade show. Uh, by the way, we added a booth down there now. Nice. By popular demand. So we're not only going to be, remember, we were originally going to do some uh, interviews at the uh, OCI booth yeah. after the luncheon. Mm-hmm. Well, now. Uh, Your own dedicated the spot. Huh? Sophisticated and sexy Sean Forbes. Mm-hmm. Well, she interviewed. Uh, Jeff Kennedy, the uh, organizer of the event, the president, right? Mm-hmm. And just based on you know the, the popularity of his event and the popularity of the show and the fact that she's trying to replace both of our jobs, <laughs> and she already has. Uh, she's already got like two on her own. We've grown, right. She's already taken the directory <laughs> she's world slowly, over. Holy, yeah. And, and the events. Glomming all of our jobs. She, she's got the directory and events done. Yeah. Now she's grabbing the, the whole podcast world next, right? Yeah, that's fine. She just got back from the digital wildcatters this weekend. So, I mean, who knows what's going to. Honestly, she's more entertaining to listen to than we are. I mean, why do you think we're promoting Don't her? say that to anybody, but. <laughs> yeah, we, we joke, but not really. <laughs> Let's be honest. We yeah. know where the talent is. So there's going to be an actual booth then, huh? Like a setup? So, yeah, and- we're going to have a booth. And so what we're, I was, I'm talking with Kate Hornbrook. Mm-hmm. She's the president of the Oilfield Connections International. Okay. And what I'm trying to convince her to do, I don't know if she's going to do it or not, hmm. but you know the bistro table that we're getting for the uh, Williston Basin? Yeah. Okay. I want to have that be our border. Okay. So then... That way, if people want to talk on their side and this and that, so I don't know how the logistics are going to work. Sure, I'm trying to, you know, me. I'm trying. I'm always trying to kumbaya something. And well, you always, know, that's what I like about it is it's it's uh you know it's a stand up type of thing like a bar. Right? Yeah, it's yeah. very welcoming. You know, come on over, sit down, chat for a few minutes. We got some check out the fun plants. things happening with the Industrial Forest Studios. Probably not the entire version going to make it down to Texas. No, that's a long haul. But part of it will. Yeah. The main elements will. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we're going to have the Industrial Forest Studios debut 
at the Williston Basin Petroleum Conference. That is the big conference, folks, that's happening in the Bakken, Bismarck. Coming up in less than a month, July, um, May, May 11th, isn't May it? May 11th. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Yeah. May 11th. Right around the corner, man. I better get cracking on a few things. Uh, you've got, it's starting to come together now. 30 CEOs, chairmen, and presidents are going to be there, including the former Secretary of State, as well as I believe I saw Harold Hamm is going to be there. CEO of Crestwood. What kind of spread of food they got at this type of thing? Unbelievable spread okay. of food. Yeah, they usually it's do. It's not just like crackers and cheese and stuff. It's. I think the last day you're on your own. Okay. That's more just... Right. Fend for yourself, right? The party's over, guys. Exactly. It's <laughs> get out. It totally. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. It's one of those deals. And at first, I kind of chuckled, but then I thought, you know what? If I was in their shoes, I'd do the same thing. Yeah. Because well, no, and nobody wants to stay either. The right. last day, whatever it is, you know, or the it's either the first or the last day. There's a lag on one of the two. Yeah. It, it's so you got to cater to the to the. Uh, uh, the exhibitors. Well, it's like any other reunion or sleepover event. It's really fun for the first day, and right. by the end of the second day, you're ready to go home. And so, like either the like I say, either the first part kind of lags a little bit, or the second part lags a little bit. And and um, anyway, so oh, good thing going to be there to liven it up a little bit. And we're going to have some uh, giveaways as well at the Williston Basin Petroleum Conference. When I keep seeing all these hey, hard hats your, uh, around here, your artist connection is that going to happen? Which one? The Starbucks repurposed handbag? Yes, although I'm not sure if it'll be ready by 11th. Oh, so we might. Let's bring it down to Texas then. Yeah, I was going to say, it could definitely be ready by the time we go to Texas. Well, that'll make up for a little, you know, I feel like we're kind of robbing Texas because (laughs) of logistics. Sure. Well, it's their fault for being so far away. This would be nice. So, okay, so, oh boy, this is going to take some time. Mm. Boy, how much is this going to cost us here? Holy smokes. Okay, so... What we've got... I know the maker. You you explain what it is. What, the the bags? Yeah, what the bag is. Okay, yeah. So um, this is actually something I've seen around a while, but uh, people repurposing Starbucks coffee bags. You know, or any coffee bag. Any coffee bag. But, you know, they're they're that really sturdy... I don't even know. It's like an aluminum plastic... I call it a mylar. It is. Like, honestly, I keep about a half a dozen in my vehicle for an emergency blanket, just in case. If I was a kid wearing moon boots... Moon boots. Moon boots. For anybody with moon boots, they used to change colors with mm-hmm. the uh, with, with with the temperature or your foot sweat. And they'd come in two different. What there was an insert that was made out of foam that mm-hmm. would collect every ounce of moisture in the air, and then you'd slide it into this rubber thing. And they were the most uncomfortable. And after you wore them outside for 30 seconds, they were 100 pounds because they were so (laughs) socking wet of everything. But what you'd end up doing is you put your feet in bread bags, and then you'd put them in the moon boots. Oh, so it would keep them drier? So you'd keep your feet dry. Man. They'd still freeze because they were cold, okay. but at least you wouldn't get hypothermia. Well, you know, you could do that with the coffee bags. Now with the co- coffee bags, that's what I would do. Yeah, well, it's like a thermal blanket, really. It's a mylar. But what people are doing, or what people have been doing, including my mother, is basically they collect those bags, they cut them open, and then they sew them together and create tote bags, because shopping it, bags. Because it's sturdy. Man, those things, I've, I have a set of them that she got me over 12 years ago. You know, and they're kind of, they're better than the Ikea bags that you can get, those big duffel 
One. Are fanny packs really making a comeback? God, I hope not. I've seen them. I've seen them like... I had to wear a fanny pack when I traveled back in the day. I've seen high-end fanny packs, mm-hmm. okay? And now I'm starting to see... Why do we call them fanny packs? Nobody wore them on the fanny. Yeah, they started on the fanny. Right. They started behind. But that me. was like a pickpocket. A pickpocketer's like, thanks for making it all convenient for me with zippers and everything's already there. I, you know, actually where the fanny pack may have came, came from is the walkers and the weightlifters because you would, you would switch it around for the earphones. Oh, sure. Because back then, you know, they had cords. Yeah. Yeah. None of this Bluetooth. <laughs> back in the day, we yeah. used to have a cord yep. connected to our it ear. A, it was a wax line connected to two cans. Oh, we used to call it a headset instead of earbuds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Walkman, you'd call it instead of an iPhone. I found a Walkman in a box uh, cleaning out my house the other day. Well, an actual Walkman. What time machine were you in? No, man, it was just stuff. I because I'm horrible at throwing things away. I'm like a hoarder, I guess. I think a digital time capsule would be amazing. By the way, yeah, until there's an electric magnetic pulse, and then it's all gone. Well, no, because it was it would be. Under the earth, it okay. wouldn't. It would so like a Faraday cage or something. It would, sur- well, it would survive under yeah. earth. It would um, under a certain amount. Of- I don't know. I think it's funny. We've got all this digital information. I've got DVDs and CDs I burned a decade ago that don't work now. Yeah. But you got papyrus that's 5,000 years old that you can still read. So, Oh, I've thought of that many, many times as someone who is a writer. Mm-hmm. Okay. I One of the reasons I got into writing, I suppose, is the God complex of wanting to be documented in the annals of time, right? Yeah, yeah to make a mark. One of the reasons why I went out to the Bakken, I knew the Bakken would be written about in history classes. Mm-hmm. And then the reason I went to the more of the national is because I knew this is going to be known as the shale age. Mm-hmm. Okay. In the same way we had the bronze age, and we had the Dark Ages, and we had all these other... At some, I don't know if it'll be 10 years or 20 years or what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. It'll either be the Oil Age, and this will be a subsection of the Shale part of it, or this just might get its own name, and known as the Shale Revolution. Yeah, I could see that. Age. I could see that. Well, totally, absolutely. No. I mean, I don't know at what level it'll be covered, but it's going to be covered in history class mm-hmm. without a doubt. I mean, the amount of advancements we've been able to make because of uh, hydraulic fracturing Mm -hmm. is exponential compared to what Jed Clampett oil brought us. Well, you think about when you and I... You know what I mean by Jed Clampett oil? Yeah. That's the easy stuff we got. Yeah, the the easy pickings. When when you and I were growing up, when I was living over in in Saudi Arabia, my dad's working for Aramco, you know, that that was the age where you sort of labored under the idea that American oil and gas was done. Right. It was done. It was never going to be it was either gone. It was never going to be beneficial or financially you know, capable of doing of doing it again. And Peak now oil, you mean? Yeah. Well, yeah. it just, you know, I grew up with the idea sort of that that the U.S. was no longer going to be a serious exporter, you know, was going to be always importer. And, you know, over the last what two decades, we've essentially become self-sufficient. That's because the other of part. hydraulic fracking, because of natural gas, because of that's shale. interesting you say that because you know th- th- that's a political statement now. Just just saying something that is fact yeah. that's happened historically. We went from being energy dependent mm-hmm. to becoming energy independent to not only becoming energy independent. We had so much surplus we exported. 
Okay, think about that. That yeah. happened in that shale revolution yeah. time, okay? Yeah. Now, with the new presidential administration, mm-hmm. they're now making us dependent on foreign countries again for energy. Mm-hmm. That's a remarkable move for an administration that really no one's talking about. I, do you hear anybody ever talking about that? No, but I mean, you know, if you look at the plan, it's to transition to de- re- reusable energy. But that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. It's now political. Yeah. When you're just stating a fact, mm-hmm. which is, is that we here, here we, we were energy independent and now we're going to go energy dependent, which if, if you're a country that wants to be self-sufficient, you would think that your food, your food, your energy and your water would be top of the line right you know i've always looked at it's it's a national security thing oh totally you know i've always viewed education energy i mean some of the basic things as national security there's wars that have been fought throughout history in europe in particular because one country was like shit we don't have enough oil we better make sure we get enough oil that's another part of this that no one's talking about is you know if, if you talk to a few people that are in the higher ups when it comes to money okay They'll tell you, and at least they've told me, that the value of the dollar is really based on whose military has the might to protect this flow of oil. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's the flow of energy, and that's the flow of goods and services. So the dollar is basically backed by the military Mm -hmm. at the end of the day because they can protect the flow of the global oil supply, right? Protect trade lanes and things like that. And if we're going away from that, well, that means the dollar, you know, the value of the dollar is just going to go down. Yeah. So good news for Bitcoin. Good news for, you know, foreign currency. Yeah. Bad news for American way of life. So if you're a Trump supporter, you you know, you do have some credence to, you know, that oh, we're losing America. Yeah, that is true. But that's just the global economy. That's part of the global economy. Totally. And yeah. You know, you look at what is it? The Chinese Yang? Is it the Yang? Yen. The, the, the Yen. The Yen? The Yen. Now, that'll probably become the global standard in the next 20 years or so. I think the ruble went away. My favorite. The ruble. Right? The Russian the ruble. ruble. I think they still have rubles, don't oh, they? Oh, do they? They might. I don't know. I'll have to Where check that out. Where can I get a ruble? I don't think you can get guilders can anymore. Can I get it at the duty shop? A du- duty the free. duty-free duty shop? Free. Yeah, who wants to go to a duty-free, man? <laughs> can I go to the duty-free <laughs> shop and I'll take $10 worth of rubles, please? <laughs> I oh, did, no, there's, a, there's an exchange place. I did smuggle some rubles out of <laughs> Russia when I went there on a school trip. International smuggling confessions well, that was on the, the thing crude is, life. When I went and visited, it was still the Soviet Union. Uh, you couldn't legally exchange dollars right my uh my sister so i've got three sisters that nobody's ever met right i had i didn't know you had a brother until recently i got three brothers jesus your big family are you the youngest catholic second youngest that's adorable i've got a brother who's uh 10 11 years now when you told me about all your hand-me-downs it makes sense yeah okay well i wanted to stop wearing the girls clothes right right? yeah Yeah. totally so Uh, so I've got three sisters that, um, you know, no one, they, they were out of the house by the time I was pretty much born. Okay. Okay. So, um, one of them lives in Texas, right on the border. Okay. A border of Texas uh, borders a lot. Oh, I'm sorry. Mexico. Okay. Well, uh, I, I forget like, the Arkansas, name of the New Mexico. And we'll, we'll leave it out. So it's, it's by El Paso. Okay. We'll just call it that by in between El Paso and San Antonio. We'll just okay. say something like that. Well, you know, and, and she lived in Phoenix for a long time, too. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm recalling the story, 
This was when I was in Phoenix. So we then went down to the border to go to Mexico. Well, as long as we're telling the international smuggling sure. stories, I feel like I need to contribute. What right? did you smuggle? Oh, no, I'm narking her off first. And, oh. then, and, and then I'll get to my Tijuana story. We're, you know, we're just slowly getting through the borders here. So here I was probably eight or nine years old. Oh, so a hoodlum. So we were going down to Mexico for the day. And I, there's two things I remember about the trip. Two things. One, my dad brought down a dozen USA Olympic hats. So it must have been 1984. Okay. Okay, 1984. Which would make sense. I was born in 74, so there we go. I was 10 years old. There we go. So it was was right around that time. Well, he would trade these hats for all kinds of blankets and chess sets, and that was currency, man. Yeah, trade, man. And he did it because you're in Mexico, so you could old school barter. Yeah. And for him, old school bartering was American blue jeans. Right. For absolutely Russian caviar, yep, you know, yep, whatever it yep. happened to be. Totally. Exactly. So. I didn't get caviar, but I did trade blue jeans for things in Russia. So, yep. That's so funny. The stereotype is true. <laughs> well, there's a reason why stereotypes are and cliches are so common because they're based on some truth, man. So here, here I am just fascinated with this whole. Because keep in mind, I'm like a paper boy at this time. Well, and we've both. So I'm a business owner. You've grown at age up with 10. transaction. Right. So I'm used to money. Money. Well, this is really my first experience of, of real life in a store bartering, horse trading, it's man. It's cool, isn't it? This is, oh, this is cool shit, man. Makes people uncomfortable a lot and of it's times. And it's the foam hat with the, with the netting background. Oh, that, Jesus. The foam USA with the, with the five Olympic rings. Yep. And you got the netting background. The only thing missing was that I'm excellent, you know? Oh. So... Some weird. I was pun, thinking something you know? to hold your beer can and a straw, but yeah, you know, like the when you go to Belize, unbelievable shirts, <laughs> you know, the fun puns. Never been there. So that's one part I remember of that international. I don't even know what you'd call that. Is that smuggling? Whatever it is. No, I don't think so. You kind of. He didn't. You didn't steal it. He didn't disclose it at the customs. Yeah. I'll tell you that. You okay. Know, whatever. Yeah. The other one was my sister. I overheard her. She says to my dad, she goes, he goes, what are you doing? Because she's like doing something in her back of her pants, you know? Oh, man, what has she got back there? She goes, oh, I'm getting the stiletto switchblade out of my butt for my boyfriend. (laughs) She She smuggled a switchblade back. Oh, Oh, man. I'm thinking going, the stiletto's the one that, that... Oh, yeah. oh, I hope she hope she arranged that the yeah, right way. Yeah, don't sit down too suddenly. <laughs> oh, man. oh yeah. And so for me, the one that I did was um That's pretty tame smuggling considering some of the stories you hear about people that are yeah. like got five pounds of cocaine in their stomach, you know, that kind of thing. Right, right, totally. And like, you know, what I did at uh, uh Mexico was, you know, I was underage and I smuggled back a small thing of tequila uh-huh. that had a worm in it. Ooh, oh, the actual worm. Yeah, it had a worm yep. in it, you know, so I, you know, I want, here I am risking international yep. what, crime. What would you call that? I'm I mean, not sure, but I, I have definitely been told you do not want to be in a Mexican jail if you can help. Could you imagine the cojones on, I mean, that's not, at that point, that's no, not, it's that's ignorance. Not, that's ignorance. It's, it's just that's total not, ignorance. That is there's, just there's, outright stupid, yeah, man. It's just, here's a, here's a, 
And I'm trying to think. It was like, uh, oh man, I had to. I and I remember wearing spandex specifically. <laughs> this was pre on meditated international smuggling. Oh man, you thought spandex was going to be a concealer? There's like nothing left no, to be imagined. No, I had oh. I had shorts on. Oh, but oh. spandex was my underwear for the day. That's perfect because it's going to be tight, so it's oh, so it'll hold things hold up things. against, right? And so nice. that was in my mind. Oh, well, they'll never figure they'll never figure that yeah. out. Like the border patrol hasn't thought of and seen everything. Right? See, this is what people tune in for on a Monday morning is to listen on smuggling tips, and you know, you never know what we're going to talk about. It is Monday, isn't it? <laughs> it is Monday. Boy, we're just going to really kick it off right out of the gate aren't we boy i tell you what well we should probably take a brief pause because we've got all kinds of things no actually those are normal size hands right get it pause pause bad jokes that's the type of monday we're having very punny i do want to mention we do have the bach and barbecue coming up in june as long as well as the oci uh permian chapter luncheon we'll be speaking at and the shale energy resources trade show down in midland texas the williston basin petroleum conference Conference coming up next, oh boy, a couple weeks in May. Uh, energy expo- just, uh, energy exposition in September, 1st through the 2nd. And then the Aramco Brats reunion in... Uh, Labor Day. Labor Day. That's like yep. the 3rd through the 6th? Is that right? Uh, well, 2nd through the 6th. Uh, yeah. Okay, real fifth. quick before we get just two minutes. Uh, uh, explain Aramco Brats. So Ramco Bratz is... Is it with an A or an R? B-R-A-T-S. No. A Ramco. A-R-A-M-C-O. Okay. So Ramco. it is a Ramco a Bratz. Ramco. Because yep. it was Ramco at one time. I think so. Or Shell. Or it was when it first started out, Standard Oil. Standard Oil. Yeah. And then it was Ramco. Yeah. And then a Ramco. So a Ramco is, you know, the largest oil company in the world. Or it, it's called Saudi Aramco, I believe now. But it had, it does have several compounds in Saudi Arabia that used to be uh, mostly populated by Americans, Australians, New Zealand, Britons. Still is, right? Still is. Although I mean, the, it's, it's, it's more of a Saudi mix now. You know, they, they're trading. Oh, they are. Yeah. Dahran, is it mostly Saudi now? I don't think so. I think it's, but it, it's a fair percentage. Is Dahran the, where the American contractors then would live? I always thought of Dahran as sort of the capital of the Aramco camps. It was the largest and most permanent camp. What do you mean camps? Plural? Well, that's what you call them. Yeah, yeah. There there was, more than one? There was Dahran, there was uh, Rastanora, and there was Abkik. And there might have been one more, but ab cake. Ab cake? Ab cake, yeah. Sounds like something you'd order at a <laughs> Middle Eastern restaurant. Now, Rastanora was on the coast, and it was closer to the refinery. Sounds like an appetizer. Rastanora, yeah. And Dahran. Maybe a nice drink. Yeah. In it. I'd like a Rastanora with one of those cute little umbrellas, please. It does sound like that, you know? Okay. So the, the reunions have actually only been going on since about 96 or so. Um, Only? Yeah. That's 30 years, man. Not for you and me, man. 25 years. 96? That was a good year. That was like yesterday. I, I was, was just, in college. Uh, Don, uh, my first business partner, Don, who you met, mm-hmm. was over this weekend. He's moving to Georgia. He's, yep. you know, snowbirding it he's, like Brad, too. He's tired of the weather. So he st- he stopped by, and he spent a couple days just catching up and, and wanting to say goodbye before he went down to Georgia, and he's going to go play golf, for, you know, and that sort of thing. Took and, that last train to Georgia? I mean, he'll be back Midnight next train. month. Midnight train. But right. in his mind he's, he's gone moved. he's gone he's so gone. he's had to go he's going to say goodbyes and that sort of thing and uh so you met him yeah you, you met him and um interesting guy uh we were talking about 1983 and i looked at him and i said 
Don, do you realize 1983 was essentially 40 years ago? And he stopped and he looked at me, and he's 76. Yeah. Did okay. he slap you for being he's so He's 76, insolent? and he acts like a 40-year-old, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, he does. He's, oh, he's more, he's more spry of a chicken than I am, right? He was a hell of a lot more awake at 9 o'clock at night than I was. Isn't that true? <laughs> oh, he was just getting going. He was just wound up, man. So, uh, anyway, he, um, he looked at me, and he said, oh, it has been that long. He couldn't believe it either. Yeah. I mean, when you actually stop and take a moment... Things that were, it seemed like yesterday yeah. in pop culture. Yeah. Just boom, yeah. gone 40 years ago. Anyway, well, and so. t- you know, times like that, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. I only actually lived in Saudi Arabia for about nine years. That doesn't, my memories seem like decades of it, right? Yeah, but you because were I was, second grade. Yeah, I was to, second grade to, to 15. You out. So that, that, that time period of your life that seems to take forever was where I spent my childhood but okay so when you when you hit 16 they kick you out right yeah ninth grade was the last grade and it had to do with alcohol and social pressures i think so yeah well that was part of it alcohol drugs all that stuff was severely illegal right you know so you guys might that they didn't want people getting their dads fired for that some people did you know totally you know you get you get fired for it so yeah they kick you out and so you'd go to (laughs) They give you the option to go to a boarding school. It was a school. golden parachute kick out because they're basically, they paid like 70 or 80% of uh, your schooling. Yeah, they give you a great opportunity mm-hmm. to go. And, well, because really, I mean, you, you know, we, we joke and are snarky and this and that, but the, the harsh reality is, is that uh, Saudi Arabia has got some very different laws mm-hmm. and uh, American children are going to are, have got historically like sex drugs and rock and roll yeah okay and if you get caught sex drugs and rock and roll in saudi arabia that might be the end of your life see what i don't understand you is might why be in jail the yeah. rest of your life there's at least one or two people i know that they i'm pretty sure they died in that jail that, that's what i'm saying yeah. and so that knowing that the oil company's like well we better offer some very good alternatives mm-hmm. Hey, how about 90% of your boarding school paid yeah. for? Yeah, and they flew us back. Yeah. You know, they paid they gave you a they gave your parents a certain amount of money for your ticket, and then my parents would get me the cheapest flight right. possible. And what ticks me <laughs> off, and this is really what irritates me, and this is what when I when I when I dog on like NDSU and mm. and, and my which is my alma mater, that's, by your, the that's, way. that's your alma mater. I paid a ton, thousands of dollars to go to school there, mm. so I feel I have the right. And to they're actually, always asking you for more money. And and I feel <laughs> I've got the right to say this: that if they're teaching kids how to be entrepreneurs, mm. then they should teach them the harsh reality that in Saudi Ramco, the reason they did what they did is because the harsh reality is is that. That your dad would have had to quit. Yeah, he would have been fired. Basically, he, well, yeah. no, no, he would have had to quit. Yeah, or risk you mm-hmm. being a teenager. Exactly. So instead, they're like, "Well, the compromise is let's give the dad and the mom or whoever it might be. In your case, it was mm-hmm. the dad, the opportunity to stay employed, making a good wage, yep. and bettering his kids' opportunity and future by sending them to." A boarding school, and you said you had many choices. Dude, I, some of my friends went to uh, international boarding schools in Switzerland. I mean, I could have gone almost anywhere I wanted as right. long as I could get in. And this was heavily subsidized by the private company. Yeah. And I think it was as, about 70 or 80% of it. Right, not the government. No. No, this was, this was the oil and gas Although, company. 
That's, that's the interesting I, thing about Aramco is that basically you're talking about one and the same. No, no. Yeah. Yeah, but that's different, though. It's kind of like China where it's like, okay, it's a it's a company, but, but it's owned by the government. Yeah. But they still have to operate as a business in Absolutely. the global marketplace. Exactly. Yeah. They're, they're, you know, and they so. still have to be able to attract Western talent to come totally. there and create an environment that's you know safe for them. But, but what I wanted to spotlight was is I think what's been happening over the last you know 20 years is people have been looking at the one-sided coin of the negative mm-hmm. instead of looking at the positive, which is, no, actually, this oil and gas company created a lot of additional opportunity instead of holding everybody back. Well, you know, and that's that's the thing is that you, you can... There's a lot of things about the culture in Saudi Arabia that I might disagree with or I might actually be you know, offended by or whatever, but you can't discount the advantages that I got as a result right. of my dad working there. And you've never worked in oil and gas. Never. But I have had every opportunity in my life, whether I took it or squandered it, came initially from us moving from Tucson, Arizona, where we were on food stamps to Saudi Arabia where we had an allowance where we had clothing where you know all that stuff so and yeah. you mentioned your first family vacation came my we, after your dad got hired yeah our first family vacation we went to Mexico and then oh, what did yeah, you smuggle back there <laughs> anyway I think my brother I'm not sure I think I had more than one I don't remember now Pepsi <laughs> Pepsi yeah Pe- Peppy yeah we brought back Peppy yeah <laughs> uh, so anyway the reason we're talking about this is because we are adding another event to our ever-growing calendar of live and local recording sessions and we're going international on this one baby Woo! so much so I had to say baby what the heck? It's Monday morning, and I'm about thrown in the towel 20 minutes ago on this on this uh, show already. But we need some more coffee. So uh, Sterling's Ramco Brats, a Ramco Brats, they have this network of you know really 70 years of Dahran being a city. So yep. anyone who's ever lived in there, gone to school in there, been a part of that, is open to go right to this. Yeah, yeah, and, and in fact, there's people that go there that weren't living in Aramco, but they were living, say, at the American consulate outside of Dahran. Or so, if you were part of these this appetizer or drink, what's the name of these towns? <laughs> Abkick. Rastanora and Dahran. Of course, ab cake does sound a little bit like an entree. Sounds like a flatbread to me. I mean, it's actually, it sounds like something that would be delicious with goat cheese. Sounds like a fish dish in my life. Really? Well, it's on the coast. Know, well, see, there, there you go. There you go, man. Sounds like a fish cake or something. But, um, <laughs> so can they go? Oh, yeah. Oh, they can yeah, go, they're too. all the Ramcons. Yeah, oh. it's just different camps, but Aramco owns them. And I think there was like five or six originally, but then by the time I moved over there, they pretty much condensed them down to Rastanor and Dahran. So are there schools in each one? Mm-hmm. Abkake was the smallest camp, but I have some friends that that's where they were raised, and then they moved to Dahran because they were closing that camp down, I believe. So now that Dahran has got a lot more Saudi influence, mm-hmm. is that right? Is there, is there a high school there yet? Oh, yeah. There's still... Well, no, 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 not a high school. I'm not pretty school. sure it's still the same arrangement. It's yeah. kindergarten through ninth grade. And then... Yeah. We don't want any problems. Yep. Yeah. We don't want any problems. The problem is, is they let us come back. And honestly, I wasn't doing any of the stuff they were worried about when I was there, but it was when I would come back on vacation for two or three weeks that all my friends would get into shenanigans. Dude, you could go downtown and buy nitrous over the counter. I mean, it was that, yeah, it was a weird, weird place. Oh, for real? For real. You just go down to the medical gas supply company. I'd, yeah. There was a whole summer where friends of mine were driving around in their cars with a 
canister of nitrous on the front seat. Yeah, not me. I was more of a whippet oh, guy. Oh, boy. That's fun. Right. Just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't want to get too far off the deep end here. Those you, types of stories and more. But yeah, my, my, my point is, is that the whole reason they kicked us out was all the stuff we ended up doing when they let us back in every year to renew our visas. So, oh, man, I tell you, by the time I was 16, the cops had brought me home to my parents a dozen times. So <laughs> I can't imagine what they do in Saudi Arabia. Trust me. Oh, man. I got no problems when it well, comes to Well, you know how they punish natives. For stealing, it's they chop your hand it's off. It's a hand for murder. It's, oh, do they still chop your hand off? I don't know that they do it as much. They just don't tell you about. Yeah. It. Okay. Well, actually, when I lived there, there. No, used, no, no. This was a farming yeah. accident. No, no, no. They used to. Uh, <laughs> they used to do it publicly. They used to do those publicly. Like they would. They would close when off a section of town. Doing that. I'd have to check that out. I think it was around the time, like the seventies or early eighties, where that stopped being as much of a thing. So our lifetime mm-hmm. in Saudi. Saudi Arabia, they were still doing the Mayan style of theater. I don't, yeah, I don't pretend to understand. You know the, what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Well, it was the an Mayans effective, would rip out your heart. It was a deterrent. And show it to everybody. Yeah. And blah. And that's theater, pal. Yeah, yeah. That is flat out sadistic theater. Well, if you, if you behead somebody or you take a hand for. Oh, I forgot about the French. Right. They would do that publicly. Well, that Guillotine. was. Yeah. Yeah. In Saudi, I believe it was done by a sword. Back in the day, you know, the, the big old, yeah, but that's role play in theater. Holy (laughs) crap. Again, I don't under, I'm not an expert on the culture, but one of the things you got to keep in mind is that for the most part, Saudi Arabia started out as a bunch of Bedouin tribes, right? So a lot of tribal culture, maybe animosity, things like that. And there had to be a pretty strict and ruthless law system to keep things in order. Is that where the curved saber came from? I don't know if that's why, but you're talking about the uh, what, scimitar or scimitar. It's it, yes, the yes. scimitar sword, yeah. Um, because it's it, that was seemed to be the weapon of choice over there, Fair. which which is a very interesting because that means they were moving all the time, right? right? <laughs> I mean, every well, right? That's how that was. Yeah. You had to be moving fast. Mm-hmm. So were you riding a cam, uh, not a camel? I have no idea. But no, anyway. they were into camels. Yeah, man. So yeah, <sighs> yeah, right off the beaten path we have gone. These stories and more at the Ramco's <laughs> reunion. What, okay, so let's talk about the reunion because we're adding this. And so for folks, if, if you really want some unbelievable stories like we were just talking about, and you probably won't get a lot of business done, but you will meet international contacts. At the end of the day, every single person at this reunion either works for Saudi Aramco or they've got a six degrees to Kevin Bacon to Saudi yep. Ramco. Like you, for example, you do not work in oil and gas. No. But you are part of a network of thousands of people who at any given time you could probably reach out to a handful of them who actually work for the largest oil company yep. in the world. And I think that's why they call us the brats, you know, is because we were these sort of privileged, got to live overseas, <laughs> got to travel, you, got to... recognize your privilege. Uh, absolutely, man. Well... I didn't, you know, I was growing up in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, we were poor. My dad was working as a radio station DJ and night school, you know, engineering courses. Got that job. It changed our life 100%. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what's interesting, actually. They talk about the country club economics, which is mm-hmm. coming. And 
what you're talking about is you came from privilege, but you recognized it. Mm -hmm. And that's really what America was built on was, yeah, the privilege might have been in control, but they recognized it. So there was the trickle down and there was this. Now it's just flat out the country club, country club economics. And it's all they used to call it frat boy economics. But then the sororities got (laughs) not mad, but people wanted to point the fingers at the sororities and say equal opportunity offender. So then it just became country club, which is an elite club, essentially, at the end of the day, who do not recognize their entitlement. But at least in this country, there used to be sort of a sense of privilege came responsibility. And that's what I mean. There you used know, to be an awareness. A, a yeah. social or societal responsibility to and try after to the that. last $10 trillion, they just printed out. I don't think people understand those entitlements anymore. They, they just feel like they're entitled entitlements. Well, that's the trouble with entitlements is that once you start them, it's very difficult to stop. I mean, it's really hard. It's like the bank that accidentally gives you an extra couple thousand dollars. It's not your fault. You get happy. And I mean, who's real- going to give that back, right? Well, who's going to want to give it back, right? <laughs> so here's to watching the clocks of our grandfathers. And here's to stopping and a picking flowers. And here's to not letting this moment pass you by. So here's to the picture that holds us laughing And here's to the sound of one hand clapping And here's to not letting this moment pass The music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com. The Crude Life, Play Hard, Work Hard, is sponsored in part by Chewy Paws. All-natural elk, deer, moose, and caribou antler chews for dogs. USA-sourced premium quality and no preservatives. They love what we do in oil and gas, and all profits go to the dogs. That's Chewy Paws. Check out their website, ChewyPaws.com. That's ChewyPaws with a Z.com. The Crude Life, Play Hard, Work Hard, is sponsored in part by... For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral and Land Services and Mineral Tracker to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an 
industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Time now to work hard on the Swan Energy phone lines. 7foot4.com. 7foot4.com. Mark Eaton, former basketball player with the Utah Jazz, now a motivational speaker and businessman here at the uh, GIC conference in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. I understand you recently were in Dickinson, North Dakota, doing some public speaking. Talk to me a little bit about that. I did. I was invited by the uh, Five Diamond Industrial Park uh, group up there in Dickinson to come up and speak at their uh, economic summit that they put on last October. And they brought a wide variety of uh, industry leaders and state and county local government officials together. Uh, for a, a day just to discuss the issues of what's going on in the, in the Bakken's. And so it was an opportunity to, I, I speak about teamwork, but I was able to kick off the meeting and kind of get everybody at least on the same page about thinking about working better together. And I enjoyed my stay there and fascinating to listen to the different issues and challenges that both the private and public sector faced up there and what they were doing to address it. So I learned a lot while I was there. I probably learned more than I, than I gave them, I think. Well, you know, I thought the most fascinating aspect of the conference to me was listening to some of the the county and government officials uh, talk about what growth was going to be just temporary versus what was long, you know, longer term growth. So Mm -hmm. which services they need to provide right now and then, you know, eight or 10 or 15 years from now, who was still going to be there given the projected growth of the industry up there. And uh, I thought that was the most interesting aspect. You know, how do you decide how much money you put into new infrastructure versus what the long-term payoff of that, of that extra infrastructure is going to be? So, uh, you know, it's, it's clearly a challenge. I mean, it's a good problem to have because you've got growth going on. But at the same time, I could really see uh, how maybe difficult it was for the, the leaders in the public sector anyway, to decide where do we put our dollars, how do we spend you know, what do we really improve and, and is that is that gonna is the payoff gonna be there over the long term? So. You can almost see where it's reverse. It's a good thing, but you don't wanna let the horse out of the barn because if the horse is out, boy that that's Yeah, and it sounds like they've been through some boom and bust mm-hmm. up there before and, and so they clearly have that experience to look back on and make their decision. But uh, I just found it very intriguing and interesting to listen to the to both sides of the conversation. Now you mentioned teamwork and the working relationship between private sector, government sector and even nonprofit if you want to throw them in there and it's almost a teamwork atmosphere to get things done. Uh, Coach Dale Brown and I spoke about uh, longevity within an organization. If you look at boarding organizations historically that have longevity within their administration and coaching that generally equals success. Uh, Your thoughts on that and put that into the business world a little bit. How important is longevity in successful business? I think it's very important. If you use the sports metaphor for a minute. Um, uh, you look at the great NBA teams, the Lakers, the Celtics, and that core group of people does not change very much year after year because it takes a few years to build that rapport and that understanding of each other out there on the court. And I think business is much the same way. We unfortunately live in a corporate environment now where people are constantly changing jobs and stepping on each other to try and get ahead. Uh, but the companies that you have a tendency to admire are the ones that do have that longevity, that do have the core group of management, you know, core management team that stays together, the core sales team that stays together, because you learn how to work better together. And if you can understand the concept of teamwork and kind of get off of that tangent that, well, I just need to climb on everybody else if I'm going to get my career further ahead, and understand the concept that if the team wins, you win. 
then I think that that bodes well for your long-term success. And I've certainly seen that as I travel around the country and speak to different businesses. The ones that take that attitude and are really there for their teammates uh, and taking care of them and let's, let's work on this together, how can I help you and how can you help me, uh, seem to have a much happier culture internally in their business and seem to have much greater results from a bottom line perspective than the ones that are constantly changing and moving all the time and mm -hmm. this person goes and that one's coming in and it's just you know now we're, we were doing management systems this way now we're going to do them that way there's no consistency and continuity and people are just like i'm just going to show up and put in my eight hours and i'm out of here uh so i think that's the, the the culture that you have to look at if you're a boss or a ceo where where do you want to go what you know what are your missions and values and what do you what do you want to stand for at the end of the day because your culture is going to have a direct impact on, on what your bottom line is. Coach Dale Brown also said, uh, Coach Wooden from UCLA would not last today because he didn't have his first winning season or had it. It took him 10 years about to get a winning season going and a winning team going. And he, and he thought that was a travesty because of the way people are today for those reasons you just mentioned earlier. What, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think somebody like a, uh, a, are there other John Woodens out there that we'll never get to see because they get cut right away, either in business, yeah, sports, or whatever? Yeah, I, I think in business and in sports, it's win now, win now at any cost, mm -hmm. and very little time is spent on developing your team, developing your philosophy, developing your players. And I think there's a lot of guys that get sold short and a lot of coaches that get sold short because of that. So Coach John was a perfect example. He spent years building his pyramid of success mm -hmm. and his baseline philosophy of what he came to believe team was all about, uh, and which was evidenced by you know, 10 national championships. Uh, and there's so little tolerance nowadays for let's take this player and let him develop for a couple of years. Let's work with him. Let's assign a special coach to him. Let's really help train him to do his job well. Uh, we, we have a tendency in business now to go from the hiring to the judging space. And uh, you know, there's a great book written uh, a number of years ago by Ken Blanchard called Raving Fans. And he talks about the, the missing component of coaching that people don't spend very much time teaching people how to do their jobs and help them develop. And where do you want to go with your career? And how can I help you in the context of what we're doing here in this, mm -hmm. this organization? So, so yeah, I, I think that's uh, that's very true and, and unfortunate, and um, I, I hope that eventually it'll shift around the other way. Uh, any advice you might have for uh, anybody looking at investing? Well, I think the opportunities are certainly there. I think you'd have to be smart about it, like any other thing. And, and uh, you know, oil and gas investment is a mm -hmm. is a risky proposition in the best of circumstances. Uh, and again, to me, it goes back to who's the team you're working with. And, it's fascinating when you listen to business investors talk about companies that are going to go public or they're thinking about going public. Uh, the one thing they're always asking is, who's on your team? Who are your teammates? And so my best advice would be to find a great team. Find somebody that's really doing it well and go work for them and figure out what it is they're doing before you decide to strike out on your own or do something differently. But uh, the, the one that has the best management team, the happiest employees, that's the person I want to work for. Thank you very much, Mark Eaton. Okay, thank you. Appreciate it. That was right. great. Thank you. you. Sure. We good, Kev? All right. Exclusive interview industry news, environmental innovation at thecrudelife.com.
Life with Jason Spies. Thank you for joining the program today. You know, I, I come from an oil background. My family's been in the oil and gas industry for 60 years. I, I think the thing with the younger generation is the younger generation has pretty much bought into the climate change phenomenon. They really believe everything that people tell them. We just want to thank everybody that has been so supportive of us, and especially you, Jason. Without without your help, I don't think our event would be as successful as it is. So I, I don't want to be real critical of them because being a guy who's, you know, dad has several small businesses and, and coming from that sort of small business background, I get it. I mean, the, the, the operators here were put in a real bad position by the state of North Dakota. I'm glad that we've got people like you to pay attention and bring us information on stuff like this. Prices can't go any lower for services. I, I, they're, they're too low right now. I, our margins are in the single percentage point if we're lucky, and we're not lucky that often. You're exactly right. ESG is becoming more and more important to shareholders. I can see for my 20 companies, they take it very serious. It makes perfect sense, and I thought you had a really good show last week. Jason, I love your inquisitive questions because you you ask important questions that that lead to the most important truths. Hey, this is Kevin Kramer representing proudly the state of North Dakota in the United States Senate. I'm Jason Spies, who's like the best energy interviewer in the world. No one does an interview like Jason Spies. We all like living the crude life, so... <laughs> The Crude Life with host Jason Spies. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer right here on the Crude Life Daily Update. Well, stay close to your banker and your credit union members, uh, your credit unions. They're they're advocating. Uh, obviously, they want to be in the business of lending. Th- things like, um, you know, things like the the, the capital balances, the ca- capital carry, and things like that. We're working on. To, to make sure that banks have enough of a balance to, to be, you know, to be safe, but also don't, aren't sitting on so much that they're not doing any good. Um, the price of money, you know, is really cheap. I would expect it to come up a little bit if if we see some inflation. We're starting to see some inflation. Uh, we're seeing it in commodities for sure. We're seeing it in lumber and building costs. We're seeing it in oil. You know, we're seeing it in in, in other some of the food commodities as well. But just stay close to your banker. The other thing to look out for. Remember, we're talking about big infrastructure package. Um, Joe Biden wants to spend $2.7 trillion, only 6% of it, of it of it on roads and bridges. They're proposing an infrastructure package that spends more money incentivizing and creating um, uh, electric vehicles and electric um, infrastructure for the vehicles than they do on roads, bridges, waterways, combined. Combined, if you can imagine. And uh, so we need to get we need to get some common sense back and start, we need a big infrastructure package. We need to include the private sector in that. We need to expand the, the tax base so that it's not just, um, you know, fossil fuel-generated uh, automobiles, but electric vehicles as well, paying their, their way on the highways to, to maintain and build them. We need to make sure that the highway trust fund is being spent on transportation infrastructure, not on other social programs. And, um, and to, to, we include the private sector because... Just by just by not allowing the Keystone XL pipeline to be built, you're taking billions of of uh, private sector dollars out of the infrastructure, um, you know, framework, and it makes zero sense whatsoever. So um, elections have consequences. We're in the fight. We appreciate the great job you do, Jason, in, in informing um, your listeners and readers and 
and uh, subscribers because uh, it's it's a very important public within our public. To listen to the full-length exclusive interview with U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. While you're there, be sure to join our ever-growing army of social media energy enthusiasts on Facebook, YouTube, even the Twitters. Go to thecrudelife.com, click on the social media tab. From the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to always remember... Energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by... For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral and Land Services and Mineral Tracker to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come. The music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com. The Crude Life with host Jason Spies. So there's still people without power as of this morning. You know, right now, I think there's very limited driving out there in West Texas. They're generating about 5% of the power today uh, in, in Texas. Sensitive microphone because I just poured a glass of water because we don't have running water here yet. I mean, this, is, this has been uh, a very trying week for a lot of people across the state of Texas. Uh, there are, and, and let me just say this, I, I'm sorry that so many Texans were let down by their grid. On the phone, talking with us today, Chairman Christy Craddock of the Texas Railroad Commission. We have roughly 470,000 miles of interstate and intrastate pipe and pipelines in Texas, and roughly another 500,000 miles of gas utilities uh, lines in Texas. So we have a lot of, and gathering lines are in that 470,000 miles as well. So we have a lot of pipe in Texas. We're the largest pipe state by a six. It, it is a very challenging day in Texas right now. Uh, the grid operator is projecting that nearly three million homes in Texas uh, are without power today. Uh, and, and there's- It's our snowy here in Lubbock again. I mean, I don't, I thought it was supposed to be sunny today. So I'm from Odessa, and that's a big part of my district, but I also represent, uh, in addition to Hector County, uh, three other counties in the Permian Basin. So Andrews County, Hector County, Ward County, and Winkler County, but uh, all, all in West Texas, all in the middle of the oil patch. You know, when they close the roads down, we can't transport that, that those, uh, those materials. And so we can't get the product to uh, where it needs to go to get refined so that we can either one, heat our homes or two, uh, have fuel for our vehicles. Um, with pipelines, that doesn't really come into effect. You know, once the pipelines are laid, not much can stop that, that crude oil or uh, natural gas from getting from point A to point B. They are so far behind the curve on getting the storage, the battery storage. Uh, in place to be even be able to handle a, 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 you know, the most minute degree of storage for a case like what happened in Texas. And now, it, you know, there's going to be a spotlight on that. And just an incredible impact. We saw nearly 30 gigawatts uh, come offline yesterday. 
On Friday, the Railroad Commission uh, took quick action. I know you recently had Chairman Craddock on. We'll have water for until 5 p.m. and then we'll be off again for the night. On Friday, I sent a letter asking the Public Utilities Commission of Texas to rescind its order authorizing uh, these uh, uh, generators, these generators or these providers to increase the rates. You know, I don't know that's true, but I don't think I'd want to be in a hospital in Dallas, Texas on a on life support and know that wind energy is going to be my source of keeping that machine running, right? J.P. Warren reporting from uh, Houston, Texas at 9, 12 a.m. Uh, I don't even know what day it is right now. I think it's Wednesday. Uh, we ran out of water yesterday. Well, I've had maybe three hours of sleep in three days. The Crude Life Play Hard, Work Hard is sponsored in part by It Takes an Industry to Build a Forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. The Crude Life Play Hard, Work Hard is sponsored in part by... For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral and Land Services and Mineral Tracker to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come.